0: Good morning. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to come and worship with you here in Hillhead. And we always look forward to it. So I'm always always quite happy when I receive an email from Anne inviting us to come again. This is a bit of a strange week, I sometimes think, as Christians, that we forget. Thursday was the 40th day since Easter. It was the Feast of Ascension. It was the day in which Jesus, who promised to always be with us, left he said i will always be with you and the first thing he did was to disappear it doesn't seem to make sense for the apostles at the time it might have been quite shocking to think wait a minute we've done the death and the resurrection and now here you are and now you've gone for then the 10 days between the ascension and pentecost must have seemed like forever We gather today in the presence of one who has ascended, but has yet to return. We gather as a people who have received the promise, but have yet to see that promise fulfilled. We are pilgrims on a journey. And it may be that this week the journey has been easy for you, and rejoice. It may be that this week has been hard, and the Lord's presence is what you have needed to see you through. We rejoice in the Lord and thank him for the encouragement. We look for his comfort when we are hurting. We look for his healing. When the people of Israel wandered through the desert, having been freed from slavery, before they entered Israel, they were sustained physically by manna, bread that came from heaven. Today we gather to worship the one who called himself the bread of life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gather here as a people drawn together who live in your presence. A people who know that you've been with us each moment of every this week. Lord, for some of us, your presence is a comfort. And we pray, Lord, that in your wisdom you would encourage and heal those of us who need it. For some of us, Lord, there are times when knowing that you are with us causes us to feel shame. And for those times, Lord, we ask your forgiveness and rejoice to know that it will be received. For, Lord, we gather here knowing your continual acceptance of us and your desire to see us restored and renewed. As we approach you, Lord, may you strengthen your spirit within us that makes us one with you and one body with each other. May we be prepared and willingly surrender that which divides, forgiving as you forgave, and strengthen those things in us that unite us, showing compassion on others as you have shown compassion and served us. That we may live as your Son, our Lord, prayed, in the promise that you've made us to be one as you and the Heavenly Father are one. May our faith in your Son and the promises he made in which we gather. Be strengthened within us, Lord. Be glorified in our praise, in our thoughts, and in our hearts. May our service here today be a cause of rejoicing for us and for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. The reading this morning is from John chapter 6, and it's verses 1 to 71. This is from the NIV. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus walks on the water. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they, had got, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. (coughs) The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Jesus, the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the, at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve Simon Peter answered Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we have come to believe and to know that you are the holy one of God then Jesus replied have I not chosen you the twelve yet one of you is a devil he meant Judas the son of Simon Iscariot who although one of the twelve would later betray him
0: Lord, we pray that your message for us this morning would be heard loud and clear. That you would speak to our hearts and our minds. And that your words, which you say have eternal life, would nourish us, encourage us and strengthen us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about the last time you were offended by something someone said or how you felt, or why it was they offended you. I was very wary that if I started asking, can you remember the last time you were offended? There'd be one or two you would never hear the next thing I said, because you'd be sat there stamping your feet, thinking, "Jack, how dare they say that? It's easy to remember offences. As I was preparing this morning, I very quickly remembered something from two or three years ago, and I thought, doesn't that tell you something about the way we hold on to them? We had some a couple to the house when Mo was pregnant with Sarah quite early on. And uh, the wife of the couple that had come prayed. they just found out that we were pregnant expecting Sarah. And her prayer was, And Lord, we pray for Lionel as he starts to do more around the house. <laughs> I thought, I've just tidied the house and I even cooked the dinner. <laughs> what else do you want me to do? Because there was a presumption there. And I remember at the time thinking, what do you mean? Most times we're offended it is primarily due to misunderstanding. Sometimes a bit more of a conversation or a little bit more, we can see it. Sometimes the person who offends us is a friend and we can sort of see past it. We realize that they either didn't mean what they said or they didn't realize how offensive they were being. But there are also some people that are just downright offensive and seem to take pleasure in it. Some of them are brothers and sisters in Christ. They almost like that idea that they are declaring the truth and therefore it's not their fault if we're offended, it's God's fault. And if you're offended at what I'm saying, we're going to blame God. And you think, wait a minute. It's always handy to have someone else to blame for your own attitude, isn't it? Though if we're honest, the people that we just offend us all the time, unless there's any reason why we have to spend time with them, we do tend to start avoiding after a while. The passage that was read this morning, and thank you for the reading is a complicated one. It's one that many people have discussed and it raises many questions. Some of those questions have two answers. Is Jesus speaking physically or spiritually? Yes, he is. Is the passage about communion? No. Or maybe yes. Was he talking to everyone or just his disciples? Well, maybe yes and maybe no. Whilst there are lots of questions that are raised, and we can have a lot of, you know, there'd be a lot of benefit from meditating on these, there are some questions that have one definite answer. Was Jesus being offensive? Yes. Did he offend his disciples to the extent that they left him? Yes. Did he make an effort to go after them and say, no, no, wait a minute, let me explain myself. You've obviously misunderstood me. No, he didn't. He let them go. In fact realizing that he'd made an offense he almost compounds the problem by saying does this offend you what if you were to see the son of man ascend to where he was before it's probably thinking i'm not overly sure that's helping the problem and how, how does this sort out the offense The context of the passage is the preparation for the Passover. And so much of the dialogue happens when we're talking about manna, the bread that came down from heaven that fed the Israelites as they went from Egypt through to the promised land that sustained them from a day to day basis. The chapter begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. He has compassion on them, He gives them physical bread that feeds them for there and then. It's often called a miracle of grace. And it was received by everyone who was there. The crowd's response is they want to make him king. But that's an interesting concept. Because how can you make someone king? They wanted to make him a king that fits their ideas of what a king should be. They cannot make Jesus king any more than I could make my mum my mum or my dad my dad. They are my mother and father irrespective of whether they fit my ideas of what a mother and father should be like. They wanted to make Jesus king because he met their needs. But this whole passage talking about Jesus as the bread of life is interrupted almost by this miracle of glory where Jesus walks on the water. But this is only seen by his apostles. It's not seen by everyone. But here we have confirmation that Jesus does not need to be made king. He is king. Here we have the one who has power and authority over the waves. Power and authority over the power of nature. He may not be the king that the people were looking for, but he is the king. A God of glory and a God of grace. When the people crowd catch up with Jesus and they find him in Capernaum, Jesus challenges them directly. He says, I tell you the truth that you're not looking for me Sorry, I tell the truth, you're looking at me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. Do not work for this food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is challenging the crowd to see past the king who provides for their needs and to see the king. What Jesus says is that these people were almost ignorant of the miracle and actually possibly didn't even care as to how Jesus provided the bread for them. The bottom line was they were hungry and he gave them food for free. Who wouldn't want to follow such a man that can give you things for free? And so Jesus is trying to get them to move away from the, the meeting of the needs, the bread, the free stuff, and getting to see Jesus. Jesus. It's a bit like how we are with our parents. I don't know about you, but as a teenager, I wasn't necessarily always the most pleasant son. I think it's something we almost expect teenagers to go through. But you do go through that phase of wishing your parents were possibly different people. You expect them to do everything for you that you'd want them to do because that's their job, they're your parents. At the same time, you sometimes find them an embarrassment and you don't like some of the other things they do. It's often not until we become adults that we actually love our parents for who they are, not for the people we wish they were. We've stopped looking to them to provide what we need anymore. And we just love them because, well, they're our mum and our dad. And in some ways, this is what Jesus is trying to do. Don't chase after me because of what I can do for you. Come after me because of who I am. at the same time he carries on he says but of course if you do come after me i will then provide all that you need not just physically but spiritually also we shouldn't misunderstand when it says it is the spirit that gives life the flesh profits nothing jesus is not saying that physical things don't matter but there's very much a difference between being alive and living Those of you particularly here who have spent any time in hospitals will know there are plenty of people there that are alive. But they're not necessarily alive. We can get up every morning and we can feed ourselves. We can dress ourselves. And we can see ourselves through to the end of the day when we fall asleep. We are alive. But whether we are living, well that has more to do with how we feel about what we're going through, about all the other emotions and so on. There are many people who keep themselves fed. But the spirit is dead. They have no joy and they have no hope. And so Jesus is saying, if we do not feed our spirit, then we may be alive, but we are not living. He uses the imagery of Bread. Now, the context for this is the manner they're preparing for Passover. The people that Jesus is talking to know nothing of communion. Communion hasn't happened yet. And sometimes we need to almost try and push that to one side. As we look with 2,000 years of history, when we hear of bread and wine and flesh and blood, we think of nothing but communion. But for these people, they knew nothing of it. Jesus claims to have come down from heaven. So they dispute this but they're not offended and they don't leave. They argue, they argue about it. It's when he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood that they get offended. I'm never convinced, and I never have been, that even in the first century Israel, that the people that Jesus was talking to were so ignorant to think, oh, he's expecting us to eat him. The idea that Jesus was promoting some form of cannibalism I think would have been repulsive to anyone at any time. I mean, after all, we sang Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not one of us jumped up and thought How dare you suggest such a horrendous idea? Jesus says in the Beatitudes Hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. No one says, what a stupid thought. We understand what this language means. We understand what it is to eat and to drink. To desire, to want to consume something whether it's physical or spiritual. When Jesus said zeal for his house, had he eaten him up? We knew what it meant. Our desires eat us up. We are consumed with passion. We use the language all the time, and so did they. Jesus wasn't the first person to use this phrase, David, when he desired to drink from the well in Bethlehem had said so, and three of his strongest men broke in and took water from the well in Bethlehem and brought back to David. David got the cup of water and he poured it on the ground and said, who am I to drink the blood of these men? And what he meant and what was understood was, how could he benefit from someone else's sacrifice? They understood the language was talking of sacrifice. Sacrifice. And what Jesus had just said to those that wanted to make him king is, no, I'm not going to be glorified by you. I'm going to be sacrificed by you. And unless you have your part in my sacrifice, you can have no part in me. For those that were chasing him for superficial reasons, that's not what they wanted to hear. For those that understood that maybe Jesus wasn't meaning physically, Jesus keeps pushing it as to the extent where we can't think of it in any way but physical. My flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. It's almost like he wants them to explicitly feel the flesh and the blood. Well, part of that is because Jesus' sacrifice was real. When Jesus became born as a child, he took on flesh and blood. Everything he did was in the physical. It was in flesh and blood. His torture, his sacrifice, his resurrection and ascension were physical. And they needed to be so. So when Jesus is offering up his sacrifice, he's not talking of a spiritual sacrifice. He's talking of a physical one. But why did he say it in such an offensive manner? Why was it when so many people left him, he didn't go after them? Well, on the one hand, maybe he was using the ploy that many rabbis did to separate the real disciples from the ones that weren't so sure. I sometimes think that Jesus, knowing what he was about to go through, wanted only those around him who were able to stomach what was coming up. But there is also a truth here that I think many of us need to face. That as we proclaim the name of Jesus, as we desire Christ to be in our lives, we need to take that which offends us along with that which we find palatable. For each one of us, there is an aspect of Christ that offends us. And you might be offended by me making that suggestion. For some of us, we value our independence. Our ability to choose for ourselves, to stand on our own two feet. But we worship one who tells us that we need him, that we cannot live without him, that we are dependent on him. We rejoice in the God of grace. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. But it is it that we find the God who judges offensive? and difficult to stomach as he separates the sheep from the goats. For those of us that have done our best to live an upright life, to do all that we can to please others, to do all that we can to please our Lord, then we still need to acknowledge that Christ says that his sacrifice was necessary for us, that what we did still wasn't good enough. That somehow something that we said or did or the way that we led our lives still required him coming and dying on the cross. We accept Christ's forgiveness. We thank him for his love. But we also need to accept his forgiveness and love for those that have hurt us, for those that have abused us, for those that caused the pain. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone a rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We are all in danger of choosing the Christ that we want to follow. We rejoice in that which we find worth rejoicing in. And then we try to quietly ignore those bits that we're not so sure about, the parts that make us uneasy. And for each one of us, it will be something different. But there is value in pondering on those aspects that you're not sure of, those aspects that do cause offense. If we meditate on God the judge, then the grace of God becomes stronger. If we meditate on why God wants us to change, then his love for us for who we are grows. Often on focusing on that which we find sour, that which is sweet becomes sweeter. But ultimately, for all of us, we worship the one who said, "Who would never leave us and always be with us?" Yet left. and despite his promises, has yet to return. Jesus' ascension into heaven was confirmation of where he had come from. But it also reminds us that he's not here. But as with the other offenses, it's as we consider the absence of the incarnate Christ that our understanding of Pentecost and the need for his spirit becomes stronger. It's as we ponder these things, we grow in that knowledge. our desire to be one, our desire to be united. Communion is more than just the act of eating bread and wine. The act of communion, the act of coming together, is meaningful when it is those of us who live in the presence of Christ, those of us who have sought Christ and received him into our lives. When we come together in one body we become the word that has taken on flesh. That To one another, we become that which is physical. For when we need that which is physical. The spirit of God which dwells within us. But there is the promise. If we can consider that which offends us, then there is a promise of eternal life. When Jesus was crucified, it was seen by all. But his resurrection was seen by his disciples. If we are prepared to consider that which we find difficult, it may be that something within us needs to die. But we are promised this resurrection to new life. If we are able to consume that which we find offensive then the more we will see of that which is glorious. The more we desire Christ for who he is and not for what we hope him to be, the greater he will become. We have this promise of a fullness of life. This promise of food for our spirits, for our souls. We are encouraged. Taste and see that the Lord is good.
2: Let us join together in our prayers of intercession. Gracious God, we thank you that we have a new Parliament, freely freely elected, with many new MPs keen to solve problems in our society and in the world at large. So our first prayers this morning are for the government And all our members of Parliament, that they may act with integrity and stamina to analyse realistically the aspirations and needs of all parts of our nation, all groups in our society, not discouraged by the complexity of practices that have grown up over many generations. Not biased in favour of one group or another, not seeking party advantage or short term gain, but diligent in pursuit of lasting solutions that ensure social justice and the well being of all our people. We pray for leaders in industry, commerce and community affairs. And especially for all parties that must choose new leaders in the coming weeks and months. Asking that choice may be determined by quality of character and mind. And the resolve to work for unity for the common good. Rather than perpetuate harmful divisions in society. Lord God, we recognise our privileged position in a world where many are homeless, hungry, poverty-stricken and face the inability or indifference of those who should be their support. The conflicts in so many lands have turned active, enterprising citizens into refugees in their thousands. Many seemingly forgotten for months or years in camps with limited facilities and resources. We pray for international generosity for host countries which can ill afford to provide shelter and food, and thank you for all agencies of compassion for the individuals who go to the world's difficult places to serve in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And for those who, in Christian Aid Week and such like, devote themselves to calling on neighbours or strangers, asking them to express their compassion in a generous gift. At this time, we offer special prayers for the people of Libya, left in turmoil after a ruthless dictatorship that left no pattern of social cohesion to follow, and for those who take dangerous journeys in search of personal liberty. We pray for the people of Nepal, normally so cheerful in their poverty, who now harbour fears of further earthquakes and face the daunting task of rebuilding their homes and communities with few resources for the task. We thank you for the Christian communities in that land, built up over many years, and now able to offer socially valuable service. And we pray that they may receive the international help needed to rebuild lives and communities. And we pray for no resumption in conflict in Burundi, so sadly divided by racial conflict years ago. Lord God, may those of us unable to be active in the work of relief and support of the needy Be generous in our giving and our prayers for powerful efforts to improve the lot of such nations. We gather together our Christian concerns in the words of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. For your mercy and your truth's sake, we offer these prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: May the spirit of our Heavenly Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, be alive in us. May the Lord Jesus fill us with the hope of his return. And may we see his kingdom here on earth.